Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. We're continuing the series Formed to Flourish, and just to give you a reminder of of what that's about, we are sort of talking about the different things that our church wants to embrace this year, that as we do them, it's actually God's pattern for flourishing. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in one sense, we're kind of taking our vision statement about being God's blended family that gathers together to joyfully worship Jesus, and we're turning it actually into action statements. Like, these are the things that we want to do this year. And we're going to talk tonight about choosing to belong, which sounds a little weird because it's not like you choose to belong, right? Belonging kind of happens to you maybe, but we'll explain that a little bit. Uh, Choosing to belong, you belong to Jesus. Let me pray for the preaching of the word and then we'll dive right in. Lord, we pray that you would change us. We come again. We need to know that you love us. We need to be reassured of that. And then we need your Holy Spirit to fill us again. And then we need your word to change us. And so tonight we pray that you would, that you would change how we think about ourselves and how we think about you and how we think about others and how we act and what we love. And only your spirit can do this as the word comes to life. And so I pray that you might use me um, to, to speak your word and that you would help us change by your power. And all God's people said, amen. I know last week I told this story um, about being in a cohort with other pastors. And I came up with this story for tonight. And I realized, oh, I'm telling another story about being in a cohort with pastors. But don't worry, it's a different story. I haven't forgotten what I said last week. But this, this story really kind of captures what I, where, where I want to go in terms of the, thir- the theme of the sermon tonight. Maybe about 2016, we were really trying to get New City Fellowship planted. And um, planting a church is really challenging. Starting a church from scratch, it's it's one out of two, make it. So it's 50%. You start a church, there's a 50% chance that it will fail. And it's just so hard. And it kind of, I'll be honest with you, it kind of beats down on you over a time. Like you get insecure, you wonder if you're crazy, you like, am I even a Christian? I'm not sure. This is so hard. And I was part of this pastor's cohort where once every quarter we would get in a room about like this with about as many people as are in here tonight. And we would just try and encourage each other. We would hear from another church planner who might speak words of encouragement to keep going and not give up. But one of the things that we did was one particular planner would be in the hot seat. And the hot seat was when one planter would come forward and say, hey, here's a challenge I'm facing in my church plant. Could the rest of you church planters encourage me, help me to think differently about it, like through the eyes of the gospel, and give me hope, and maybe even give me some tips on things that have worked for you? So it was meant to be a very uplifting time. Well, my friend who ran that asked me, will you be in the hot seat? And I said, okay, sure. And so I got in the hot seat. And I began to talk about some of the challenges we were facing as a small new church with not a lot of money. And people started to ask me questions, picking at it, trying to understand the situation better, trying to kind of figure out what was going on so that their words could be spot on words of encouragement 
or words of a positive strategy. But there was one particular man who was there. I still don't know who he was. I think he was someone who sort of positioned himself as an expert on church plants. And he came into town just to come to this thing. And many people had said kind of some things to me that were encouraging until we got to this guy. And this guy kind of stood up and started listing all the things that I had done wrong in the planting of this church. And I was like, well, that's it? Like only five things? I mean, there's like a hundred things that I probably would do differently as I look back. But the fact that he was so determined to say it in front of everybody, man, that hot seat started getting really hot. And the more he told me the things that I had done wrong or that he wouldn't have done that way, just the smaller I felt. And I just started to shrink in my seat. And I'm like, this was the dumbest thing I've ever done, being in this hot seat. But then it got bigger than that for me in that moment. I'm like, what am I doing planning a church? This was stupid. Who am I to think that I could have done this? And and as his words kind of hit me, um, I started to feel so ashamed, so ashamed of myself, so alone. And even though the room was full of people who I knew and were like, we're with you, dude, I started to feel like I didn't belong. So we broke out into small groups, and I was like, I don't want to be in a small group because I was the pastor who had been scolded in front of everybody by this one particular guy. I don't remember what he looked like. I don't remember his name, but I do remember how he felt. And I felt alone, ashamed, and like I didn't belong. We all want to belong, don't we? Belonging is such a powerful feeling. I think advertisers know this because when you get advertisements on your phone or on the TV, it's not really logical. They're more like wooing you. You can belong to whatever we're selling or, or even like belonging is so powerful in our, in our culture. Our culture has redefined love as acceptance because belonging is so powerful. People want to belong. They don't want to be told they're out. And so our culture has redefined love as acceptance so people can belong. Even this idea of like tracing your genealogy. You notice some of you have probably done that. Like where, if I give my blood or my DNA, who are my people? Who do I belong to somewhere way back there? Belonging is so powerful because it touches on story and it touches on shame and it touches on purpose and it it touches on identity. It really touches on how we see ourselves. One of the ways our culture does identity that we've talked about before is our culture does identity that is achieved. You create who you are. You earn your place. You project an image out into society. You become whoever you want. Identity is achieved as you're successful and as you live the life you want. Um, But then what follows that is that who we are determines where we belong. So identity determines belonging. If you're successful, you fit in with the right group of people. If you're fully alive and everyone knows it, then you fit in with the fully alive people. But here's where the Christian faith is just so different when it comes to belonging. Rather than identity earning our place and who we belong to, it works the exact opposite way in the Christian faith. 
Belonging comes first. And that roots who we are. See, it starts out with first whose you are that then determines who you are. And Paul says it so simply and beautifully in 1 Corinthians. says to this really messed up church. He starts with whose they are. In chapter 323, he says, you belong, you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And today, what I just want to do is I just want to break down these three, these four words. You belong to Christ. We're going to talk about that tonight and what it means to choose to belong. So, so let's start here. You belong to Christ. Personally, you are his. Not through your perfect obeying, not through your passion for him, not through your spiritual greatness, but rather through what he's done in the gospel. If you can put it on John 10, in John 10, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Hear this, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You belong to Christ because you've heard his voice in the gospel. And when you belong to Christ, you become his. Belonging is first and foremost about whose you are. And then that reflects on who you are. See, Christianity is so different because it starts with belonging, whose you are, and then that determines who you are. And an identity for a Christian is not in what we do or what we achieve, but rather in us being received. It is an identity that's received from God. We are the children of God. We are the holy ones. We are the ones that Christ loves. We belong then that states who we are. It is nothing we earn. It is about everything that he has done on our behalf. And what that means is you're not defined by your past failures. You're not defined by your present secret sins that you don't want anyone else to know about. You're not defined by Satan's accusations. All those things are real. I'm not saying they're not real. What I am saying is because you belong to Christ, they're not your identity. They're present in, their, in your life. They are things that you do, but they are not who you are. And as Christians, we have to be reminded of that all the time, that what we do doesn't define us before God. Rather, it's who we are before God through Jesus that then gives us the motivation to follow him. And so what does it look like for you to start off with choosing to believe that you belong to God personally? Well, there's a word um, that we don't really have much reference for. It's the word appropriate. And we know that word through the concept of cultural appropriation, where some people take something from another culture and make it theirs. And there it kind of has a negative context. But here I want to use it in a positive context. This idea that you belong to Christ, God wants you to appropriate it and make it yours. It's not something I'm making up. It's who you are. 
But you have to make it yours so that when you think about yourself, you go, I am so-and-so who belongs to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ belongs to God. What would it look like if that's how you thought about yourself? If you appropriated that, and it wasn't about just what you do for your job, it wasn't about your past failures, it, it wasn't about what you want to achieve, it was rather about receiving from God who he says you are. You were to appropriate belonging to Christ and make it your own. To flush it out a little bit more, Andy Crouch has this great diagram of what it means to belong. There in the top left, you see rejection. Rejection is not being known and not being loved. But then below that is ignored and rejection, sorry, is ignored and rejected, which is not known and not loved. Then to the right of that, there's fitting in, which is not being known, but loved, as long as you become like us. But belonging is being fully known, everything about you, and fully loved. God fully knows everything about you all the things that you wish you could change, all the ways that you have failed him today, all the the secret times when you, you struggle to believe, he knows all that. And he fully loves you because you belong to him. You're his. You belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. And we can think about this idea of appropriating it as like, okay, I get it. So I just kind of fake it till I make it. Like I just kind of pretend that this is real. And that's not it at all. Belonging to Christ isn't something that we mentally ascend to. Rather, it is how God sees us. So much so that God announces it at your baptism. Matthew 28, the the Great Commission, Jesus says this, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can go back one. Um, So what we get right about baptism is what we're saying to God. Like when we're baptized, we're renouncing evil ways. And we're saying, God, I will follow you. Jesus, I believe I'm in with you. But what we often miss is what God is announcing to us in our baptism. That he is putting his name on us. And that's just not some ritual, some ceremony we made up that's really meaningless. Rather, it's announced by Jesus because we are being marked with the name of God in our baptism. We are meant to see that. We are meant to hear those words. We are meant to see our friends get baptized and be reminded that we have been marked with the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. And because I've been marked, I live in a new reality where I belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. I'm reminded of the Pixar movie, Toy Story with Woody and Buzz. Woody the cowboy, Buzz the spaceman. And man, in that first movie, Buzz is like so annoying. 
because he just thinks he's this great spaceman. And after a while, Woody's like, I can't take this anymore. And Woody says to him, man, you're not even a real space ranger. You're an action figure. You're a child's plaything." And Buzz is like, no, I don't believe that. And Buzz tries to fly, right? And he can't fly because he's not a spaceman. He's a child's plaything. And after that, it sinks in who Buzz really is to Buzz. Oh, I thought this about myself, but I really am insignificant. And he tells, he tells Woody, I'm just a stupid little insignificant toy. And he begins to sink. But then Woody looks to him. Woody the cowboy looks to Buzz the spaceman and says, look over there, over in that house. There's a kid who thinks you're the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger. It's because you're his. Do you hear it? Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And in a really beautiful way, right at that moment, Buzz lifts up his shoe, and on the bottom he sees the word Andy. Andy, the little boy who he belongs to, has marked him with his name because he belongs to him. And when Buzz gets that, that it's not about who he is, it's about whose he is, everything changes. There's this new humility, but also a new confidence that I belong to him. See, friends, when we think about our baptism, we're meant to do the same thing. It's like turning over our shoe and seeing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit's name on us. And when we understand that, we realize it's not about who I am. It's not about what I do that's great. It's not about what I do that's awful. It's first and foremost about whose I am. I'm Jesus's. I belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And just so that we would know it, God God puts the Holy Spirit in us. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a mark and a seal of a promise to come. In other words, the Holy Spirit is put in us as a deposit that we belong to God. Not just now, for, but for eternity. And so often, man, we fight about the Holy Spirit in the church. But I think one thing that we can agree on is that having the Holy Spirit means God is in us and God is in us because we belong to God. We belong to God. You belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. But if we tweak it just a little bit, you belong to Christ. You're his. There's an exclusivity that we're meant to hear when we hear you belong to Christ. If you can go to the next slide. What Jesus says next is that you would teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We like that. He's with us to the end of the age. But sometimes we skip over that part where it says, teach them to observe everything that I have commanded. What, what Jesus is getting at here is that the response to belonging is obeying. That being his means we take action with what he tells us to do. That him being the king means we comply with his commands. When we go, he chose me, we go, also, I choose his commands. 
This week, I accidentally created a firestorm on Facebook by asking people what they thought of the He Gets Us uh, advertisements. 115 comments later, I was like, this is a part-time job managing this post where I asked people what they thought of He Gets Us, and I don't have this time. Um, And I had meant to really try and create a discussion and just see what people thought. And what I found was um, people, some people really liked it, and some people really didn't like it. Um, I think what people liked about it was that in those commercials, they really saw the servant heart of Jesus for all people, including enemies. And I think we can stop and go, that's beautiful, because that's who Jesus is. At the same time, it would be easy for someone to see that. And I heard stories in the comments about people who saw that and go, well, he gets me so I can do whatever I want. And that's not what the Bible teaches, right? The Bible teaches that Jesus understands who we are. He does get us. But then the question that's a response to that is, do you get him? Do you follow him? Do you obey him? Do you listen to his commands and carry them out? Do you get him? Someone said Jesus loves us where we are, but because of his love, he never leaves us where we are, right? As we belong to him, he changes us. He commands us to follow him. And so that what that means is we have to look at life and go, there are new places I have to say yes because I belong to Jesus. And there are new areas where I have to say no because I belong to Jesus. If you can put up Titus 2.14, Paul says about Jesus, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. We belong to Jesus. Who do what? They're eager to do good works. There's new yeses. We're meant to look around and go, what good can I do in my home, on my street, in my workplace? What does Jesus command me to do? Well, not lawlessness, but rather good works in the places that are not good. New yeses, but also new no's. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this, but anyone joined, anyone who belongs to the Lord is one spirit with him. Then he goes on to say in that very next verse, what that means is flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. You're not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Because we belong to Christ, we are his. We We are commanded to say yes in certain areas and no in certain areas where we might have said the exact opposite. Where do you need to take a yes action in your life because you belong to Jesus? How might you take a no action in your life because you belong to Jesus? Where do you need to change your mind? Where do you need to make a phone call? Where do you need to never go back to that place Again, where do you need to set a boundary or recommit to obedience or tell someone you need help? Because you belong to Christ. Because you're his. Belonging leads to obeying. We belong to Christ personally. That's our identity. But also exclusively. 
meaning we are not our own anymore. We're called to follow him and obey him. We belong to him personally, exclusively, and then lastly, corporately. Corporately. When I grew up in South Florida, I said, you guys, a lot. Like, that's what I learned to say, you guys. And then when I went to school in Alabama, I resisted saying y'all. And I was in the South about four years, then I moved to Nashville, and I had resisted saying y'all about four years, but as I started getting into Nashville and lived there for five years, it just started creeping into my vernacular. I could no longer say you guys, I started saying y'all, y'all. And, and what Paul wants us to see in you belong to Christ is that it's, there's a y'all. Y'all belong to Christ. There's a corporate sense that we belong to God together. Look how he puts it in Romans 1.5. We talked about Romans last week where there's Jew and Gentile who don't really like each other. But Paul says this, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you all who are called to belong to Christ. Paul is getting at that there's a belonging that happens vertically between us and God, but that produces a belonging that happens horizontally between me me and you, between every believer. We belong to each other. See, we tend to go, I belong to Jesus, and here's what that means to me. But what Paul is saying is, We are brought to God together. We belong to Jesus together. We tend to not treat each other as if we belong together. Rather, we tend to treat each other very transactionally. One of my friends, uh, Brad, who I do the podcast with, he's writing a book on, um, on the church, and he's thought deeply about some of these things. And he says that we tend to think of the church family rather as a spiritual nonprofit where we can sort of participate as customers when we want. And if I put in this much, I get out this much. Or if I don't want to put anything, I can still take something out. Uh, We show up when we want. We give of ourselves when convenient. Uh, But that doesn't really reflect the idea of us belonging to one another. I mean, thank goodness Jesus doesn't treat us transactionally. He gives all of himself to us, even though we have very little to give him. But as the church, we're called to belong to each other because we belong to God together. In fact, so much of the New Testament is trying to get this through people's heads. 1 Corinthians 12 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're part of Christ's body, and so is everyone else who believes in Jesus. And so we are brought to God together. You all belong to Christ. And the way that we work that out is by showing up, by by serving one another, by giving of ourselves, by realizing we're some part of something bigger than ourselves, that we belong to each other. But the underlying question that activates all this is asking yourself the question, do do I belong to Christ? Like, how does that mechanism get activated? Here's how. You see yourself as someone who's created in God's image, and yet at the same time who has rebelled against God. You haven't listened, you haven't followed his commands, 
And where you belong because of that is an eternal separation from God. You are a child of wrath. But Jesus took that spot for you so that you could belong fully to God. He went to the cross where criminals belong and took your place so that when you turn from a life of rebellion against God and turn to Jesus in faith, you're choosing him and he's saying, you are mine. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So the question is, do you belong to Christ? Have you, have you made that commitment? Have you trusted him? Have you repented? Have you, have you turned him? Because when you make that change in your life, it changes everything. It changes how you think about the world. It changes how you think about yourself. It changes how you think about your enemies. It brings you from death to life. It changes your eternal destination so that you belong with God and to God for eternity. And when you meet him face to face, he will wipe every tear from your eyes and there will be no more crying and no more pain because you will be with him forever. You are his, you belong to him. But it completely empowers us now. It changes our identity fully and completely so that even... When we're in the hot seat, we have something to hold on to because we belong to God. I've been so impressed um, with Brock Purdy, the quarterback for the 49ers. I got in a chance meeting. I got to meet him uh, like two and a half years ago before he was drafted. And if you know Brock Purdy's story, uh, he was Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft meaning he was the very last person picked in the whole draft. Like the last guy, Mr. Irrelevant. And he's been critiqued a lot because people say, well, he's not really a superstar. He's more of a game manager. He just makes sure no one makes mistakes. Well, he led all his team all the way to the Super Bowl this past Sunday. And really heartbreaking, they lost. I know some of you are probably Chiefs fans, but I was rooting for Brock Purdy um, but it's just amazing to see what this young man is holding on to and how he's handling this adversity and how he's handling being in the hot seat because he knows he belongs to Christ. He said this, I, I never try to hold on to the football life so tightly. All right, God, this is what I do, but I am who you say I am. I've allowed that to sort of take over my life. Do you hear? Like, I don't belong to football. I belong to him. He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is my rock. He's my Lord and Savior. That's who I live for. That's my identity. The verdict is in. Jesus Christ already died for my sins and I'm saved through him. And now I can go and live my life through that. The world may call him Mr. Irrelevant. That's okay because he doesn't belong to the world. He doesn't belong to football. He belongs to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ belongs to God. And you see the humble confidence that that takes over in a person's life when they know who they belong to. It's all in with this. Do you know that you belong to Jesus? What would it look like for you to choose that this year, to appropriate that for yourself and say, that's who I am? but maybe to find new power for new obedience in a new area of life because you are not your own. You belong to Christ together.
Maybe it might even mean stepping up and loving someone sacrificially in this room because you belong to God together. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week. Thank you.